Hopefully you brought your Bibles tonight as we discuss what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity that we have to minister Your Word and to preach Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You would open our ears. We pray, Lord, that You would open our heart. That everything, Lord, that is said and everything that's done, Lord, may bring You the glory. We pray, God, that our hearts will be receptive that everything that's said, Lord, may go to a heart that is prepared to receive Your Word. And we won't fail to praise You for it in Jesus' name. And everyone shouted a great big Amen. What does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? We start a new session tonight in our point sessions. And every week, like I said, we're going to explore a different subject that may be a little difficult and a little hard. But I encourage you to open up your heart and open up your mind as you let the Holy Spirit grow you and mature you into the disciple of Christ that He has called you to be. Do you know that Jesus is probably the most hated and loved person in all of history? He's the most loved person, but He's also the most hated person in all of history. He is loved because of what He has done but He is hated tonight because of what He has said. He is the most loved and the most hated person in all of history. Jesus is known for His hard sayings, isn't He? I'm going to read some sayings to you that's found in the Gospels that is very difficult to um, even understand at times and even difficult to take. But I want you to listen to some of these words that Jesus said in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 8, verse 22, He says, Follow Me and let the dead bury their own dead. That seems so insensitive of Jesus to tell somebody who is grieving to go bury your own dead. But Jesus said that, didn't He? Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, But I say unto you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. It's a pretty hard saying right there. Jesus said that if you are divorced for any reason except for that, you are living in sin. That kind of hurts, don't it? But that's, that's what it says. Now, you say, Pastor, I'm confused. Now, maybe you're remarried or married tonight. Don't worry about it. Come next week and I'll explain exactly what that means. Because if you go to the Apostle Paul, he says something different. So, you've got to come next week. The reason I stopped with this is because I want to make you hungry to come next week. Somebody say amen. So you just come next week so I can explain to this. So don't worry about anything. Next week it will make perfect sense when you look at Scripture as a whole. Can I hear an amen? But at first glance, when you read that, it sounds a little hard. How many would agree with me? Say amen. At first glance, you you hear that, it sounds sounds really hard. Um, But I think upon further investigation, you'll find a few things that maybe you didn't know before. Uh, What about Matthew chapter 10, verse 34? Jesus says this, and I quote, Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves his son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, verse 34. At first glance, that seems to be very difficult to swallow because our love for people is very strong. What about Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, where Jesus says, Therefore ye shall be perfect, just like your Father in heaven is perfect. A very hard saying of Jesus, but very true. Luke chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus says this, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you shall fear. 
Fear Him who after He has killed has the power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear Him. That's a hard saying, isn't it? How many would agree with Pastor Josh? That's a hard saying. Raise your hand. What about Luke chapter 18, verse 22? And so Jesus heard these things and He said to them, You still lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow Me. A very hard saying of Jesus. And when He had heard this, the Bible says, He was very sorrowful because He was very rich. Luke 22, verse 36, another hard saying of Jesus. And He said to them, But now, he who has the money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a keep sack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So it's interesting, in one Gospel, Jesus tells you to turn the cheek if they slap you. And here Jesus says you need to buy a sword. Very hard saying of Jesus. And then Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now, that is a hard saying, and it's very hard to do good to those who hate you. But Jesus is very clear that if you want to follow My teachings, you've got to do good to those who don't like you. You've got to do good to those who hate you. Now, out of all of the sayings of Jesus, out of all of the sayings of Jesus, there is one that is very disturbing. Very disturbing. Now, if you very quickly, it'll be behind me on the screen, but it's found in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 23. This is one of the most hard sayings of Jesus, but not only hard saying, it is very disturbing. Mark chapter number 3 and verse 28. Listen to this hard saying of Jesus. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the son, sons of men, and who, whatever blasphemes they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. If you look at the other Gospels, it tells us the same thing is uttered in the same way in the other Gospels. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus almost says the same thing to the disciples. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Therefore I say unto you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but he who blasphemes against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. The Scripture also says in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 10, almost the same words that Jesus utters. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 10, Jesus says this, verse number 10, And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. What are you saying, Pastor? All of the sayings of Jesus are difficult. The ones I read to you were very difficult. Some of them are very strange, like give all that you have and give it to the poor. That's a strange message. One of them said, be perfect as I am perfect. One of them said that you got to love me more than anybody else and one of them said, gave stipulations for divorce and remarriage, but all of those hard sayings that I read to you, I could deal with. And, and I could maybe wrap my mind around it, but there is one hard saying that's I don't believe is hard. I believe it's disturbing. Because Jesus said that if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you will never be forgiven. The Scripture records in the book of Luke that you will not be forgiven in this age, nor will you be forgiven in the age to come. In other words, the Scripture is clear that the person who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, you are in eternal condemnation, damnation, no hope for your soul, and all hope is forever lost. If there is a disturbing word of Jesus, if something should 
be disturbing to read, then ladies and gentlemen, this scripture should be very disturbing to us. Because the gospel writers are clear that the person who commits this sin, there is no hope. It's disturbing because of two things. Number one, it's disturbing because it's an eternal sin. The Greek word for sin in Mark chapter 3, verse 23 is not a sin which can be forgiven. It is the Greek word which means state, an eternal state, which means there is no forgiveness for. And it means that you can never be forgiven. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that we could live with all the hard sayings of Jesus, but this one seems to be a little disturbing? Raise your hand. It's a little disturbing, isn't it? And there are these scriptures that I read to you is very, uh, it's disturbing, but it's caused a lot of conflict and torment and spiritual anguish in the lives of men and women in the church. In my pastorate, I've had several people come to me. It's, it's, it's always been a question that's been asked. One of many questions that we don't explore in church. Because I don't know if we know how to answer these questions. But one of the questions that seems to be always asked is, have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and can I be forgiven? So it's a question that needs to be answered. And that's why on Wednesday night we're answering these questions. Most people are very fearful that somehow they've committed an unpardonable sin. I was reading an article about institutions, people being committed to institutions, and one thing that appears to be evident, especially in people who have had religious backgrounds, who have been institutionalized, one of the questions that's asked among social workers is people have become very disturbed that they have committed the unpardonable sin to the point where they've lost their mind. Now, I know that sounds crazy to you, but I remember as a child, my grandmother, um, there was a pastor who uh, was not very spiritual. He loved to condemn people to hell all the time. And it was just, you know, if you understood the situation, you would understand the whole context of my story. And I don't have time to explain everything to you, but my, my grandmother loved the Lord, went to church, raised in, her mother was a pastor. So, you know, that, that was her surrounding. But there was this one pastor in town that uh, it was almost like a cult. He controlled his church. As a matter of fact, he shut down the church and they all moved. They all followed him somewhere and then he committed adultery. And it was just this big mess. But anyway, before that, he would control people by telling them, if you don't do this, you're going to hell, etc., etc. And I remember my grandmother, he called my grandma and said to her, you have committed the unpardonable sin, you're going to hell, there's no hope for you. And my grandmother, who loved Jesus, but may have not understood the context of Scripture, almost lost her mind. It was horrible. I mean, they had to calm her, she almost had a heart attack just to think that you've committed the unpardonable sin. Now, she didn't commit no unpardonable sin. It was just a control mechanism from a, a lunatic preacher. But this question has to be addressed because the enemy has tormented the hearts of men and women over this scripture. And if I would be, if we'd be truthful, how many would raise your hand tonight? And let's just be honest, how many's been tormented sometime in your life or had questions and thoughts about you committing the unpardonable sin? Raise your hand. The enemy likes to take it and twist it and torment you to the fact where to have God Himself reject you where there's no forgiveness, that is a hopeless state. And the enemy will use that to almost destroy people. And when I read that article about people who used to be Christians, who have lost their mind, and one of the things they bring up to people who are close to them is this whole subject of the impartable sin. And tonight... I want to set the record straight before I preach and give you what it means. I want to give you, I want to set it straight. If you are worried about committing the unpardonable sin or you have worried that you've had a thought or something that you are have the unpardonable sin, let me set the record straight. You have not. Nobody in this church has committed the unpardonable sin. 
Listen to what this theologian says in his commentary, the book of Mark, and I quote, Worrying about whether one has committed the unforgivable sin is one of the clearest evidences that the troubled person has not committed the sin. For those who commit it are so hardened against God that they do not care about sin. So if we are repentant, you see that? We can be sure that we have not blasphemed the Spirit of God. Can somebody say amen? So if you tonight have a desire to please God and love God, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. I want everybody to raise both of your hands and say this loud as possible. I have not committed the unpardonable sin because I love Jesus and my heart is for Him and my heart is not hard. Somebody say amen. Isn't that a relief? That's a relief. You have not committed the unpardonable sin. Now, let me explain to you, because I'm going to explain to you what it means. Tonight, when you leave church, there's going to be no doubt that you should ever face the mental anguish of this question ever again. You should be free from it. And so I want you to listen to me very carefully. I want, first of all, for you to know, before I tell you what it actually means, you need to have a firm foundation of what the Holy Spirit does. John chapter 16, verse 5. You don't have to turn there. I want you to listen to the words of the writer here very carefully. John chapter 16, John chapter 16 and verse number 5. John chapter 16, verse 5. Listen to it. But now, this is Jesus, but now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of, your, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin. Everybody say, convict the world of sin. Of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in Me of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear it. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things of the Father are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of me and declare it to you. So he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And in, to make a long story short, Jesus said the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, his primary responsibility is number one, to convict the world of sin. That, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and number two, the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. Can I hear an amen? So what is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit convicts you of truth. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. He guides you into all truth. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He is a witness of the truth. He convicts you of sin. The primary responsibility or role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels was to validate Jesus' ministry. Okay? So that is the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit, was to validate Jesus' ministry. Now, the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, everybody repeat this after me, the primary role, say it loud, the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, was to validate Jesus' ministry. That, that, that was His role in the Gospels. And I want you to see the Holy Spirit validating Jesus. Now, this has a whole lot to do with understanding the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't get this, you're not going to get anything I'm saying. Okay. So when He had been baptized, 
in Matthew chapter 3, the Bible says, and when he was baptized, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and suddenly a voice came, said, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. So the Father approved Jesus, and not only did the Father approve of Jesus, but the Spirit came and validated Jesus. So everybody say this with me, the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels was to validate Jesus' ministry. Now, the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus gives, uh, Jesus notes this in His ministry that the Holy Spirit is validating Him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Luke 4, 18, this is the words of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is up on me. You see that? Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So what are you saying? I am saying the Holy Spirit's primary role in the gospel was to validate the ministry of Jesus. The Spirit of God was on Jesus. He worked miracles. And as a result of Him working miracles, the Spirit validated His ministry. Somebody say amen. Remember the Scripture? How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. How He went about healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, verse 38. Look how the Spirit of God validated Jesus' ministry. Acts 10, verse number 38. Acts 10 and verse number 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as a result of Jesus having the Holy Spirit, He went about healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. So the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels was to validate that Jesus was the Son of God, was to validate that Jesus is true, was to validate that Jesus is from God. Now, if we don't understand that concept, you'll never understand fully what it means to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent on Jesus' life to validate and to prove that Jesus was of God. You see that. Somebody say amen. So, just for a few moments, we're going to answer two questions tonight. Number one, what is the context or what is going on in the passage? The Scripture, that he that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. What is the context of that? What is actually going on in the story? And then number two, we're going to look at what does it actually mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? What does it actually mean to do that? And let's look at the first question. What is the context? What is going on in the passage? I want you to go back to, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to learn what's going on around the passage. What is the context? What's actually happening here? Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 22 gives us the context of what's actually happened here. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 22. Verse 22. I want you to listen to what happens here. Verse number 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. He healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except for Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city and house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by which you are the sons of that cast them out, therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how can you enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then, the plunder, and then he plunders his house? He who is not with me is against me. And he who, does not, uh, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven of men. But he who blasphemes against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But he who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. So what are we exploring here? What is the passage? What is the context? What is happening around the story? I just read to you that Jesus is healing somebody who is demon-possessed, somebody who can't speak, that is mute. And the Bible says that the Pharisees begin to accuse him of casting demons out by the devil. And then Jesus ends this discourse by saying, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. In other words, these religious leaders was attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to the works of the devil. Now let me ask you a question. What is the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels? To validate Jesus's... Why was the Holy Spirit upon Jesus? To validate His ministry among the people. And the people, the religious leaders, begin to accuse Jesus of working the miracles of the devil. And Jesus said, ends the discourse by saying, you better watch what you say, because you might blaspheme against the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is on my life so that I can do miracles. Come on, somebody. The devil is not on my life to do miracles. The Spirit is on my life to do miracles. And these religious leaders begin to, begin to accuse him of casting demons out by the devil, which doesn't even make sense. Don't somebody say amen. What about Mark chapter 3? Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter number 3, and beginning with verse number 20. Let's look at the context. Let's look at the passage here. Verse number 20, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then the multitude came together so that they could not so much eat bread. And when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay a hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub and the ruler of demons. He cast them out. He cast out, he cast out demons. And so he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If Satan has risen up against himself, it is divided. It cannot stand. It must come to an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he plunders his goods. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven of the sons of men, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, whoever blasphemes they will utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit neither has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Look at verse 30. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. So, the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels was to validate that Jesus is of God. And yet in the Scriptures, the religious leaders accused Jesus of working miracles from the devil, which don't even make sense. Jesus is like, listen, if, if the devil is casting out himself, his kingdom's going to fall. But yet they are so hardened, the religious leaders are so hardened, they had the hardness of heart that they could not see or they would not see that Jesus was actually anointed of the Holy Spirit and yet they accused Him to be working with the devil. 
And Jesus, in both occasions, is saying to these religious leaders, if you're not careful, you're going to speak against the Holy Spirit and you're going to commit an unpardonable sin accusing me of doing something that's of the devil when the Holy Spirit has already validated my ministry at my baptism. My Father has already said He was well pleased with me. The Holy Spirit already descended on me like a dove. I am already... He, he picked up the scroll in the synagogue and said, because the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the Gospel. And you want to accuse me of working with the devil? If you're not careful, you're going to speak something that's going to... Commit the unpardonables. You see, what about Luke chapter 12? What's the context? What's going on in the story? Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse number 1. We won't read the whole story, but just listen to this. Luke chapter 12, verse number 1. In the meantime, there was a multitude of people that's gathered together, so they trampled one another. He began to say to the disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So it's amazing that Jesus begins to teach and the very first thing that He says is y'all need to beware of these religious leaders. Beware of these Pharisees. Why is Jesus saying to that? Because look at verse 8. The same chapter, just a few verses down. Verse number 8, Luke 12, verse 8. And I say to you, Whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But to him who speaks blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. What is the context? Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've got to beware of these religious leaders because they are full of hypocrisy. You've got to be aware of these people. They're not going to acknowledge me before people. And if you act like these Pharisees and you don't acknowledge me before people, I won't acknowledge you before the angels of God. And if you act like the religious leaders and, and equate me to the devil, you could commit the unpardonable sin. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying that the religious leaders in the Gospels was a thorn in the flesh to Jesus. Now, you would think the religious leaders was with Jesus and rooting for Jesus, but ladies and gentlemen, let me make it very clear that these religious leaders was a thorn in Jesus' flesh. I mean, Jesus rebuked them on several occasions. How many remembers His rebukes? You're a whitewashed sepulcher. You're, a <laughs> you, you're like a brood of snakes. You're, you know, he, I mean, He'd tell these, these religious leaders off and... Yet, they were so hard, they didn't give heed to His rebuke. How do I know that Jesus had a hard time with religious leaders? Well, just let me give you a few scriptures. Luke chapter 5, verse 21. Luke chapter 5, verse number 21. The scripture says it like this. Proves that He always has trouble with the religious leaders. Luke 5 and verse number 21. Listen to the words here. Verse number 21 and the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered and said, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? You see, the religious leaders always accusing Jesus of blaspheming. Always accusing Jesus of working miracles by the devil. The religious leaders was a thorn in Jesus' flesh. What about Matthew 9, verse 34? Matthew 9, verse 34, it clearly states that Jesus is still having problems with these people. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 34. Matthew 9, verse number 34. Look at this phrase here. This is interesting. Matthew 9, verse 34. Look at this phrase where the Pharisees accused Jesus of working casting demons out by the ruler of the demons. But the Pharisees said, He cast demons out by the ruler of the... So these religious leaders 
are just like the Energizer Bunny. They just keep on keeping on. They keep accusing Jesus of blasphemes. They keep accusing Jesus of working miracles by the devil. The Holy Spirit was on Jesus' ministry so that he could work miracles. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit how he went about doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. Jesus did not work by the devil. He worked by the Holy Spirit. And yet these religious leaders over and over accused Jesus of working by the devil. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. Matthew 12, verse 1. Here is another situation Jesus dealt with at that time. Jesus went through the, the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, began to pluck heads of grain and begin to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. You see, there they are trying to accuse Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 14. Look at this Scripture. Matthew 12, Verse 14, the Scripture says the Pharisees went out and plotted against Him so that they might what? Destroy Him. So is these religious leaders on Jesus' side? Absolutely not. They're not on Jesus' side. What about Matthew chapter 16, verse 1? Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Matthew 16, verse number 1. I want you to look at what the Scripture says about the Pharisees in this Scripture and the Sadducees. Verse number 1, Matthew 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him, testing him, ask him that he would show them a sign from heaven. There they are. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying that the religious leaders accused Jesus of working miracles by the devil. And Jesus was working miracles because the Spirit of God was upon him. Jesus was walking in the power of the Spirit because God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit so that he can do these miracles, and yet these religious leaders, who was a thorn in Jesus' flesh, constantly accused Jesus of working these miracles of the devil, and over and over, Jesus said to these religious leaders, if you're not careful, you're going to blaspheme or say something against the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that anointed me, you are accusing me of working by the devil. Accusing me. Working by the devil. You know, it's interesting to me that Mark chapter 3 in verse number 30, where Jesus gives us command not to blaspheme against the Spirit, I want you to notice something interesting. Mark chapter 3, verse number 30. Or look at verse 28. Mark 3, verse 28. Mark 3, verse 28. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemes they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Now look at this, verse 30. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. The, the Greek word said is in the progressive form, which means they kept saying he had an unclean spirit. Now that makes sense because I just read Scripture to you where they accused Jesus of working miracles by the devil. So it is true. They always kept saying that Jesus was working miracles because of, a, because of the devil. So look at verse 30. They kept saying He has an unclean spirit. And Jesus never said they blasphemed. Jesus was given a warning. They kept saying this. And Jesus has given them a warning that if you're not careful, you will blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders were saying this on a continual basis. Not just one time, rather, they were so hard against Jesus that they continued to associate Jesus with the devil. Over and over, they continued to associate Jesus 
with the devil. So my first question tonight as we explore these texts, what is the context? What is going on in this passage? These scriptures where Jesus is given a warning about not blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. What is going on? Well, if you look at all three scriptures that I read to you, it had to deal with religious leaders accusing Jesus of working miracles by the devil. When we know, according to Scripture, that the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit or the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels was to validate Jesus' ministry. And yet the religious leaders is accusing Him of working by the devil. That is the passage. That is the context that is before us. So if you look at the context and the passage that's before us, we've got to then ask the question, what does it actually mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Number one, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, number one is it is a persistent sin which leads to the hardening of the heart. In other words, as the passage that we read, or we the passages that we read, we found out that they continued to say that He was of the devil. How many remembers the Scripture I read where they continued to say He worked miracles because of the devil? You see, it wasn't a one-time thing that they did. It wasn't just one time that the religious leader said you're working miracles of the devil. No, no, no. The context here is that they continued to say it over and over and over again. Their heart was so hardened that they refused to see Jesus for who He truly is. And they continued to accuse Jesus of working miracles of the devil. So it wasn't a one-time sin. It was a constant, persistent sin which led to the hardness of their heart. What does it mean to blaspheme against the Spirit of God? It means that it's a persistent sin which leads to the hardening of someone's heart. You see, people who have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit do not go to church. People who have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit don't love God. They're not concerned about it. People who have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, their heart is so hard that they don't even know that they've done it and they have no desire for God. Just like the religious leaders, their heart was so hard that they could never see that the Holy Spirit was anointing Jesus to do miracles. Number two, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is the sin, it's a sin that does not arise from mere ignorance. You know exactly what you're doing. We've all made mistakes and said things because we were ignorant, we didn't know the facts. You've had, we, I've had sinners that I've heard just basically cuss God out. And you're thinking, well, they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. No, it could be just simply because they're ignorant. But you see, the religious leaders knew what they were doing. They wasn't ignorant to the fact. As a matter of fact, they knew the Scriptures. They knew the Torah. They knew exactly what they were doing. And somebody who sins against the Holy Spirit, they don't do it out of ignorance. They know exactly what they're doing. Do you remember a few years ago, it was something really, uh, you you can go home and look at the videos. There's a plethora of videos. But actually, it was pretty, it was something that was well known in the church. And there was sermon series about it. And everybody was talking about it. It 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 Many years ago, it was, people taking the challenge to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. You remember that? So they, got, they made videos of themselves and they would get on the video and say, I, so and so, and they would blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so there's all these YouTube videos of people did it years ago and they would just get on there and some of them would say, I know what I'm doing. And they would just say it. And you see, you can watch all these videos. And it happened years ago. And I remember people preaching about it and, and all that stuff. And, you know, because they, they, they despised the Word of God. And so they read that Scripture. And so it was kind of, they did it on college campuses in America. And so if you listen to it, it's very heart-sickening. 
that somebody could be so hard in their heart that they've walked away from the wooing and the conviction of the Spirit. You see, they don't even know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, but they don't know how bad their heart has been hardened against the Word of God. So number three, what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit when you know the Scriptures and you still reject Christ? You see, these religious leaders knew the Scriptures. They knew it better than you. And yet they rejected Him. They rejected Him. Number four, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is not the occasional bad thought or the episode of anger against God. It's, it's, that's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's not because you had bad thoughts and you said things and got mad at God. How many would be truthful tonight? We've all got upset with God. That doesn't mean you've blasphemed against God. If you read the book of Psalms, you'll see David over and over and over had issues with God. It's okay to have issues with God. It's okay to ask questions because some of the greatest prophets in the Word of God had issues and problems with God. Honesty is the highest form of intimacy. And sometimes it's just good just to be honest with God and tell Him how you feel. So blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is not the occasional bad thought or the episode of anger against God at all. Number five, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is attributing God's action to the devil. Attributing God's action to the devil. That's exactly what the religious leaders did. They contributed God's Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit, to that of the devil. And because of that, they blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Attributing God's action to the devil. Listen, we've all heard people say stuff about tongues and the Holy Spirit and they did it out of ignorance. That doesn't mean they blasphemed because they did it out of ignorance. These religious leaders knew what they were doing. They contributed God's action to the Holy Spirit. I read the Scripture a few moments ago, but I think it's important for you to see it again. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 38. Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 38. Acts chapter 10... Verse number 30, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as a result of that, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. These religious leaders accused Him to work for the devil. Number six, it's an ongoing rejection of Christ. It's the rejection of Christ. These religious leaders rejected Christ, could not see that Jesus is the Messiah. And do you know, ladies and gentlemen, there are Jews today that pray at the Welling Wall, praying for a Messiah because they cannot see that Jesus is the one. They cannot see. They've rejected him. You see, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, number seven. is unforgivable not because the Lord is unwilling to forgive, but because a person guilty of such sin has fully and finally hardened his heart against the heart of God. The reason that there's no forgiveness is because there's no repentant heart. Their heart has become too hard for them to repent. Somebody say amen. Are we all learning tonight? So the sin of the religious leaders, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, was a refusal to accept the witness of the Spirit to who Jesus was sent and what He was called to do. Amen? John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse number 37. John chapter 6, verse 37 all the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. If you want to come to Him, and you have a repentant heart, and you love Him, the promise is tonight, He will not cast you out. Somebody, that's shouting ground right there. If you come to Him, 
He will never cast you out. So people who have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit do not come to Christ. They don't run after God. They don't care anything about God. But if you run to Him and you have a repentant heart, that's proof and evidence in itself that you still have a repentant heart and you still have a love for God. John chapter 3, verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, what are you saying, Pastor Josh? It's, it's really simple. Have you blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. You should never wrestle with that question ever again. You should never live in mental anguish. You should never lose sleep over it. You should rest assured that if you have a repentant heart and love God, then you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Your heart is not hard. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is attributing God's action to the devil. And you have not done that. You have not rejected Christ. Your heart is not hard. It is for those people who after they know the truth, rejected the truth. You see, the Apostle Paul says, there's coming a day where people will be given over to a reprobate mind. In other words, they've walked so far away from Calvary. They've walked so far away from the Lord. They can never be returned again. There was a little boy got up on Sunday morning told his mama, I'm going to go ride my bike. And uh, the mama said, now son, we have church at 11 o'clock. And you can't be out riding your bike all morning because we've got church at 11. She said, now when you hear the church bells ring, I want you to make sure that you come to church. Church was just right up the road from their house. That little boy got on his bike. And as most little boys, he loved to ride his bike. And especially, he loved to ride his bike with all of his friends. So they were just having a good old time. I mean, they were having a blast. And the church bell started ringing. That little boy was all the way down the street. And he kept riding his bike, having a good time with his friends. And he kept telling his friends, listen, I hear the bell ringing. I got, I got, to, I got to run. I got to, got to go to church. My mom's waiting on me. I got to run to church. And they're like, oh, don't worry about that. Just stay around and play with us. Say, we're having a good time. Let's go down to the park here. He's like, I, I don't know if I can. I can barely hear it now. I've, 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 I'm too far down the street and I can barely hear the bells anyway. I need to go. I need to rush back. You see, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is like that. It's kind of like doing your own thing until you can't hear the bells any longer. It's kind of like you don't feel the tug on your heart any longer. You're not convicted any longer. You don't care any longer. Your heart has become so hard, you're too far down the street and you can't hear the bells any longer. These religious leaders, their heart was so hard. The dead was raised. The blind could see. The mute could talk. The bells were ringing right in front of them. And they still accused him of working it by the devil. That's what blasphemy is. You haven't blasphemed. Don't let the devil torment you any longer. Walk in the peace of God. Walk in the rest of God. Be free, and if you come to Him, He'll never cast you out. Hallelujah. Somebody raise your hand and say, Thank you, Jesus.